Just a quick message before the show begins. We're a year in now and I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope you've been enjoying it too. If you have, then please like and share the content and get in touch with any thoughts and feedback and hopefully we can keep growing the show and getting more incredible guests. Thanks and back to the show. I'm Adam Gow, the DJ formerly and sometimes currently known as Waxon. Welcome to the Once a DJ podcast. DJing and DJ culture have been a huge part of my life for better or worse. They've given me a massive buzz at times and loads of stress at others and taught me a load of valuable lessons along the way. On this podcast I speak to DJs from around the world who've made the names when it was just about skills and selection, not social media followers. We'll discuss their journey through Ascendancy and what part it plays in their life now. Whether they're still on the scene, said goodbye to the decks forever, or still get a sneaky mix in when life gives them the chance. Whatever road they've travelled, they were always once a DJ. Welcome back to Once a DJ. Today we're sitting with one of Australia's top turntablists, graphic designer and former head teacher, DJ D, to talk battling, low riders, sevens and more. So yeah, so thanks for coming on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And let's kick it off by just um, looking at considering how prevalent vinyl is in your life. When, where did you first come into contact with records? Uh, pretty early on. So not having a whole bunch of toys to mess around with growing up, um, I kind of gravitated towards my dad's seven-inch vinyl collection. Um, just all those coloured labels were kind of like candy to me. So, um, yeah, that was definitely an early start, um, probably before working, uh, uh, walking, I would say, tod- toddler years. So that kind of kicked it off. Um, my brother had kicked off my vinyl collection and a habit that I still have today. And my sister used to actually sell records at uh, vinyl market stalls. So I used to give her a little bit of a hand growing up. And um, yeah, that I guess has led me to where I am today, still a vinyl addict. I've spoken to quite a few people on this where it seems to be elder siblings have been the big influence. Um, What sort of things were your siblings into? At the time, my sister was definitely in a bit of a punk phase. And, of course, little sister does what big sister does. And (sighs) uh, it was kind of artists and groups like uh, locally, Huda Gurus, um, uh, you know, around the globe. Uh, People like The Damned was a big one for me. Uh, A group that I was lucky enough to meet uh, when I was about five. And I also met them again, maybe about 30 years later, which was amazing. And so I was a little five-year-old girl giving Dave Vanian a, a rose in a record <laughs> store where they were doing an assigning. And they're just the sort of moments that, you know, kind of stay with you, something I won't forget. Um, apart from that, uh, my brother was more into like the kind of rock, rock sort of stuff um, and 80s rock because that's kind of the era we're talking about here. I'm a 70s baby. So yeah. I kind of grew up through... 
I would say some of the best of it in terms of one of the genres that I love, which is hip hop. So that's a bit of a journey that I've taken through my vinyl years. Uh, now more so venturing into like the original samples of hip hop. So delving into funk and soul and disco and that's actually kind of what I really enjoy playing these days off 7-inch. So yeah, it's a never-ending journey, I'd say, and something I'm going to probably keep doing for some time to come. So when was your first gig? Yeah, okay. So it was the late 80s, 1988. Uh, it was a big year, actually, bicentenary for Australia. And it was a private party that I did. I kicked it all off with a few of my 45s and a few 12-inch uh, vinyl records, as well as all of the pre-cued cassette tapes. You know, you'd get the pencil and, and cue it to start just when you hit play. So you could get that almost continuous mix. Um, and yeah, I rocked out a 21st party. Uh, for the next, oh, I'd probably say about 10 years or so, um, I did a lot of private parties, family, friends, relatives, high school mates, to having birthdays, those house parties. And um, yeah, it was probably more the mid-90s where I got a professional set up and actually started, you know, doing it properly. Uh, and oh, I would say it would have been still the late 80s though where my passion and my love of turntablism comes from. So that 88, 89 sort of era, actually a bit earlier as well, um, thinking of things like that recording live at Union Square, uh, that was a big one mm. for me. That's where I kind of wore out my cassette tape in my Walkman. And also stuff like De La Soul, Maceo, all of those samples. Um, the first sort of uh, record that I remember really messing with in terms of 7-inch was De La Soul's Say No Go, which I believe from memory was a 1989 release. And that's kind of really what, kicked it off for me and it's almost like I'm full circle now too. I've kind of gone back to the era. I can't escape that era. I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of my roots and it's, I don't know, it just still sounds so good today. Yeah. I mean, I think particularly with the Della Soul and the Beastie Boys of that era, like the Dust Brothers stuff, like some of the production is just insane. And, and I think it was kind of what they were doing with samples, they were just anything, weren't they? Because, yeah. you know, not everything was being cleared. And unfortunately, there were problems with that afterwards. But yeah, I mean, that era was was fantastic for music. So just going back to something that you mentioned before, you were, you were mixing between tapes and records in the early days. Yes. I so how just... how would you do that cueing with the tapes with the pencil? <laughs> like how would you know when the start was? Um, you would kind of hear it and and take it back, and it wasn't always precise. There was always maybe a little gap in there, so it wouldn't be like I would be beat mixing cassette tapes unless I was doing the tape to tape mixes, which I used to do a lot as well. So my sister, you'd used to um, head to the clubs 
I used to sneak into her room and do the cassette to cassette um, mixtapes, which I still have some at home. But in terms of actually live playing, it was a bit of a a bit of a gauge with the you know you twist it two three turns or so, and it was about you know about there rather than having like you know five six ten seconds of nothing. So um, yeah, just kept it going a bit better, you know. Uh, in terms of um, actual throwing down vinyl, I didn't have two turntables at that point. So it really was kind of like vinyl to cassette to vinyl to cassette. It was one of those home systems with one turntable on yeah. top. So that was kind of like how I came up with as a child <laughs> to keep the music going without any real gaps. Um, Beat-wise, I did BPM stuff uh, with the stopwatch. Uh, so it wasn't perfectly matched, but it was, you know, kind of kind of there. It was close. It was close. Yeah, I, I think with that, it's such a sort of hip-hop way of doing things as well. Like having these discussions, it's all about being as resourceful as you can with the equipment mm. that you've got and things like that. And then it can force a different type of creativity. Yeah. Um do you think that with the the kind of pencil cueing, do you think that made you start to think more about construction of beats and things? Because it's almost like you'd maybe think of that in a way you'd think of beat juggling because it's about rewinding back to that point and, and that sort of thing. Do you know, you could be right. I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, totally, totally. Because you, you're kind of like breaking it down. And, and and you have to know where the first beat is, you know, where it goes to mm. next, the kick, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, totally. I think you might be right. Um, that is definitely something that I love to do. So these days, uh, for those that don't know, um, I have competed in many DMCs, uh, generally on the all vinyl tip. And yeah, just last year, 2022, I came fifth in the all world, uh, in the world's all vinyl uh, finals. First lady to rep for Australia, which was pretty dope. And yeah, it was definitely a moment, uh, a moment that I probably wasn't as proud of initially because I wasn't happy with what I submitted. So yeah, especially when you have to submit something to an absolute idol of yours and it's not quite <laughs> perfect. And I actually submitted and went and had a good cry um, and then came back <laughs> and a few days later found out that it actually came fifth. I was like, what? No way. Like that was crazy for me. So um, the person that I had to submit to was Cutmaster Swift and mm. definitely a big inspiration for me coming up. I used to watch all of those uh, VHS uh, videos and um, yeah, he was definitely one of the faves of the champs. So yeah, to be in contact with him and having to email, you know, it an effort that I thought wasn't really my best. And of course, mum life doesn't allow a lot of time for prep and practice and, and getting a perfect cut. Yeah. So sometimes it just has to do, you know, sometimes you just have to get it in and that's it. So I'm glad I did though, in retrospect. Next time, hopefully yeah. a little bit better. 
I think that's that's interesting what you struck upon there. I do think parenting is um, a real big thing for teaching you to accept good enough mm. in in just general aspects of life. Because all you do is you do your best, and it's never perfect. And um, yes. I suppose it kind of works with that thing with with a routine. So, who were the first DJs along with Cutmaster Swift then that made you think I want to battle? Well live at Union Square, DJ Jazzy Jeff. That was number one for me in terms of really opening my eyes um, for this thing called turntablism. Um, I think from that recording, the I, I could hear, I never saw it until actually just a couple of years ago, um, but have heard it for years, obviously, since it dropped. And I could hear the show factor in that, you know, and I loved that. And that's a really big part of what I still do today. The show factor is a big deal for me. And that's why I still like to flip vinyl because there is more show factor in that as well. Um, in terms of DMCs though, uh, yeah, Cutmaster Swift, Rock Raider is, uh, may he rest in peace, is definitely mm. up there as one of my number one's ultimate influences. Um, one thing I love and have always loved to do is body tricks. Um, so yeah. that's definitely a big one for me. Um, and of course, DJ David. Um, and I mean, we can't forget people like Qbert and Mixmaster Mike and, you know, all of the absolute legends of the game. Um, but for me, definitely, I have to say Rock Raider is up there. Um, having paid a little bit of homage um, with a track I haven't released yet, but also with um, my 2020 DMCs, um, I actually paid a bit of homage to all of the original DMC champs, um, recreating elements of their sets and putting it all together into one. And that, um, again, uh, brought me to be a finalist in Australia. Um, each year, thankfully, as a mum that I've competed, I've become one of the at least, you know, top 10, if not top five. But last year to make the Worlds, I think that was that was probably the best I've done yet. That was a big deal for me. So, yeah, let's see what happens next. That's it. So, starting to learn turntablism, did you have anything, were you just kind of trying to reverse engineer the things that you were seeing on the DMCs? Or did you have anyone around you that was teaching you or... No, so it's pretty much self-taught. So I learned pretty much from watching VHS because we didn't have YouTube and all of that stuff back then. There was no social media. Um, it was literally, you know, um, people down the road you'd go and visit <laughs> or maybe hop on the phone. No one really um, gave me lessons or anything like that. So self-taught, um, watching VHSs, you know, pretty much going to sleep every night uh, was a routine for me. And that's how I'd sort of pick things up. Um, I would try and do what they were doing, but I'd always want to try and make it my own in some way rather than just, you know, oh, that's their idea and I'm ripping that off. No, I, I'm all for uh, building and, and you know, uh, innovating where you can. Um, some of the things that I've actually personally done um, in the last few DMCs was um, right in front of me, I've got a hydraulic turntable low riding is another love of mine. So um, I was actually flicking yeah. switches to make the turntable go up and down. But um, yeah, another one was I got a talk box and connected that up to a turntable mm. and managed to scratch uh, via voice as well. Uh, kind of 
really killed my feelings though. So I couldn't do that for too long. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, I always like to sort of, you know, introduce something that's a little bit different. Um, I think the year prior I'd done a seven, seven channel uh, set. So three turntables and four digital, um, all playing simultaneously. So um, yeah, that year I was called the hip hop octopus. Um, so yeah, there's always <laughs> been something where... It's not just uh, to innovate for the scene. It's to give myself a challenge. It's to give myself some fun, you know, keep it interesting for me too. So um, everything that I do here, one, traditionally, it was kind of because back in the day, there weren't really very many ladies doing, um, I guess, what we do. And that was one aspect, yes, to, to kind of rep for the ladies. But like more so for me, a personal challenge because I feel like, and this is why I'm back at it again as a mum, I feel like I got to a certain stage 20 years ago uh, and then never really progressed past that and I always wanted to. Um, so now that child is, you know, nearing seven, I'm kind of back at it again and starting again in a way and um, reinventing uh, what I do and how I do it and, and working with a new medium, just purely seven inch. Yeah. Um, it is like starting the journey again, but I'm loving that and, and now getting the chance to push myself a little bit further. Can, can I just ask them, what was it 20 years ago that you think stopped you progressing? Our life, life got in the way. Um, things happened. Uh, growing up, uh, running a business, running a company, working full time at the same time, having a radio show. Um, I was kind of doing it all and touring as well, uh, DJing still most weekends, you know, nationally and internationally. And um, yeah, really didn't stop. And then things happened in the family. Mum got unwell. Um, she survived uh, a battle with breast cancer and then four years later it returned. Um, so things like that uh, really halted kind of everything. And yeah, I had to sort of little take a little step back. Um, one other thing, actually a big one, that really made me pull back was um, DJing. Uh, I was in Canberra, which is about three hours away uh, from where I'm, where I am based in Sydney, and um, I actually was spiked. The DJ was spiked at an event. Oh my god! Um, and that was a really big one that knocked me out for quite some time, um, and it made me really cautious to return, as well as the family. You know, so from there on, it was like uh, dropped off at every gig, picked up like. 10 minutes after finish and it was a different, different life, you know, it wasn't this, oh, yay, let's party, let's do this anymore. Um, so yeah, blood tests and police reports later, you know, I was glad to have passed that one. Um, and I think that just kind of soured things because I was there to give people a good time, you know? Yeah. And then to, to be so like severely kind of affected. Um, it was to the point where I, I wasn't sure if I was able to have children. So it was pretty severe, you know? Um, and yeah, thankfully I've got one now. 
everything's okay and I'm back and yeah, I'm so grateful to be back and, and doing it again. It's, it's what I love. I'm not me without it. Yeah, that's a huge thing to, um, to have had to go through. I'm sorry to hear that. Mm. Oh, it happens to so many, sadly. That's, that's the yeah. hard part, you know, and having gone through it, um, Sorry to go into details, but like it's it's such a big thing. No, like no. to to be conscious but paralyzed, you just you don't want to think about what could have happened, you know. So I really feel for girls and ladies that go through stuff like that because that's oh that's something you just don't ever forget. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Winter DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Winter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from winterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. Yeah. What was the business that you were running? Uh, this, you, you mentioned having the, the business as well as the full-time job. and Yeah. Okay, so the full-time job was um, actually 20 years of being a head teacher at um, college. So it, it's equivalent of university here. Um, it's just, yeah, the other option to uni. And uh, the the business and the company was in the same area, so web and graphic design. And it's something that I started um, in the 90s as well. And I initially started to to kind of like, I guess, uh, give myself what I needed to do as a DJ. As I wanted to be an artist as well. I was at, two, I was at a split road. I was, uh, I sing. Um, so it, there was a point where I had to choose, am I going to be a singer? Am I going to be a DJ? And for both of those, I need some really good graphic design. I need someone to look after, you know, the whole, um, image. And, um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. And so I, I did the courses I studied. Um, and then not even a year out of study, I got reached, uh, the, the college reached out and said, Hey, did you want to come and teach? Cause I was actually teaching teachers while I was a student. So, um, yeah. And this is, this is going back to the nineties where, you know, Photoshop was one layer. Um, it was mm. like really, really a different time in terms of what you could do. 
And again, pre um, this is literally the the early days of the web as well. Uh, that's something else I used to do. I used to hand code um, for a number of corporations um, building websites where we didn't have video and images were super limited. I remember the day that the animated GIF came out. Like it was it's that... <laughs> It's crazy, right, to think of it that way now where we've got these full screen videos and everything happening these days. So, um, yeah, it really was a different world. Um, But glad to have those skills because they're still coming in handy now. Uh, That was going to be one of my next two questions because, you know, your brand as a DJ is such an important thing. So that must have really helped you. And if you were kind of early on web as well, that, that must have been a really big thing to kind of just have that little edge on people. Yeah, totally. Um, in terms of the web, that's where a lot of the international stuff came from because um, I think that was the difference. Uh, you know, anyone here, if you didn't have a website, you didn't have that international connect back then, again, pre-social media. So it really was the way back then. And, and I remember as soon as I put that website up, I was getting like inquiries and stuff from all sorts of places and like places that I I would have loved to have gone to DJ, but just couldn't because I was a teacher, you know, and unless Mm. it fell in the holidays, it was not going to happen. So some of them did, thankfully, and that's how I got to do some. Um, But a lot of them I had to turn down, which was such a shame. But um, yeah, definitely the skill set came in handy. I remember... um, would have been early 2000s and a flash had just come out, uh, animation <laughs> software for, for the web. And I remember creating this uh, digital decks where people could interact and like one side was beats, one side was cuts and people would just hang around on my homepage just scratching for hours <laughs> with samples that I'd thrown mm. in there. So, um, yeah, and that's all stuff that, you know, I, I kind of uh, created and hand-coded myself back then because it, it – kind of, um, it was early days and we didn't really have that sort of stuff online. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. Flash was an interesting one. You got some crazy websites. I think it was Dante Ross had a, I don't know if you saw it, his MPC one. I didn't see it. No, but it sounds, I can imagine. I can't remember the full functionality, but yeah, it was good. And Easy Moby had a really crazy one as well. It was like a spaceship or something. Wow, the mothership. Um, I wish I wish someone had like unarchived them or, or something like that now because they were they were just mental. Exactly. I actually I saved mine, the one I was talking about, and I wanted to get it back up, but it just doesn't work without the drivers anymore. Yeah. So yeah, because you have to have that old version of the driver to run it. So I was like, oh, what a shame because I was actually going to re-upload it just for fun, you know. (laughs) So just another thing to ask you then, um, and I hope this isn't kind of too personal, in that period, I mean, and you're still very, very busy now, are you someone that just doesn't relax or like can you relax? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I I totally can. Um, Yeah, no, Honestly, it's not work for me. For me, this is my enjoyment. This is my pleasure. This is my Mm. fun. And now in mum life, this is me time. So the more of that I can get, the more I will. So yeah, I I am, I'm an all, I'm generally an all night sort of person. I always have been ever since I was a teen, um, staying up late night, making those tape to tape 
mixes to as a graphic designer, that's the lifestyle. You have to pull those all-nighters to meet the deadlines, you know? And so then that mm. was the next period. And and then mum life, hello, same thing again. So it's, it's something that I've always done. I'm grateful that I'm able <laughs> to function with little to no sleep. Um, and of course, to a life, you know, you kind of live that life there too. So yeah, I'm well trained <laughs> with no sleep, tired often, but um, yeah, can still, you know, get my stuff together and, and pull off a, a pretty fair enough gig, you know, um, yeah. on little to no sleep. So when you had your child, did DJing totally disappear or did you in some way manage to keep that going? And if you didn't, did you just feel like you lost a sense of identity? Mm. Yeah, I, I wasn't me without it. That's for sure. I was grateful that I kept one thing going. So all of these like gazillion things I used to do just halted. Like it was from... 150 to zero almost. Um, but I did maintain my radio show. That's something that I didn't didn't stop. Even, you know, during uh, like delivery, the the air was, uh, the show was airing. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I made sure that that continued um, pre-record where needed to be. And um, yeah, still doing that today. So that's been running uh, since, uh, I kicked that off in 1999. Um, still going now. Was that internet radio or radio? No, FM. Yeah. So uh, 88.1 FM is what I've always been on here. That's uh, It's local radio, um, so local to Sydney, but um, yeah, online internationally, of course. Now, though, uh, the couple of radio shows that I have are actually um, Australia-wide and they go via a community radio network. So that means it gets picked up by multiple radio stations, both FM and digital. And mm. um, it also gets played over in New Zealand and the UK. Um, and yeah, it's it's got a pretty good spread, thankfully, after all of these years, but still self-produced, um, still created in my home studio because that's what mum can do uh, at 3 a.m. When, when needs to be done. And yeah, that's, that's every week, two shows uh, on top of the other stuff. And at the moment, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm nonstop with gigs too, which is fantastic. I'm absolutely loving having that aspect back in my life because that I totally missed, that uh, building, you know, a vibe with the crowd and the energy and feeding off that energy and such a buzz. Oh, man, it's, yeah, it really is a big part of my overall energy having, having that. So I miss that in the early years of, of my child. So, yeah, good to be back. Yeah. So at, at what point did you leave the head teaching? Oh, just recently, actually. Um, I, I did take a break um, when I was pregnant. So that's pretty – I would say I'd, I – I was still in the position, but I wasn't there, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't actually fill that role uh, since I was pregnant. 
So I've been pretty much full-time mum since about six, seven years ago, which was a choice of mine because those early years are so formative and I really wanted to be there to build a good foundation for my son. Um, as, yeah. as much as, and of course, you know, we're talking years of COVID as well, where it wasn't really uh, some, a luxury, it was a luxury to be able to drop a child off at daycare. Um, I chose to keep him at home and, um, raised him here. He spent half his life in the house, which was quite sad at that time. But mm. we, we made it fun with DJing and with, um, music. So he started DJing when he was three. Um, and he was live streaming at that age and he does throw down 45s as well, seven inch final. And he's part of the 45 kids, which was founded over in the UK. Um, he's the Sydney rep for 45 kids, um, which is part of, or under the umbrella of 45 day. And, um, yeah, these kids from around the globe would hop on Twitch and throw down vinyl an hour each generally, or half an hour sometimes back to back. And this is what got us through wow. those, you know, tough years. And, and it gave them a chance to have, um, being an only child, it gave them a chance to have that interaction with other kids, you know, which is so important at that age. So, um, yeah, he's still doing it. He still loves it. And he's still taking over my sets. <laughs> he's still um, streaming. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful connection that we share and hopefully we'll yeah. continue to share for some time to come. I think streaming was a massive, massive thing for DJs. I think mm. – um, if it didn't exist at the time of lockdown, a lot of DJs would have probably had quite severe mental health challenges through that level of isolation. Um, so yeah, it was huge. Totally. I took that time to kind of step into this studio and it it would have been what, 20, yeah, uh, early 2020. I looked around and I just saw all these records, uh, mainly 12s, 12 inch, um, sitting on these shelves for, at that point, 20 years or so, uh, maybe longer, and getting dusty, getting dirty. And I took the opportunity to start cleaning. <laughs> I rolled up the sleeves, <laughs> got the rags and started cleaning all of this vinyl and just looked at it and I said, I need to give another life to this because there's just too much good stuff here, you know. It was just sort of yeah. uh, getting moldy and dusty and, and just it wasn't right. So now, last few years, they've all been well used again and I'm just loving going through that journey and pulling out memories, you know, memories from certain events or gigs. And oh, I remember throwing that one down here and and all of that sort of vibe, you know. It's, it's uh, I love this studio. It's kind of like it's it's my sanctuary. <laughs> it's my retreat. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I don't get enough time in here, unfortunately. I'd love to have more. That's just life, eh? Mm. Um. So just jumping around your timeline a little bit, something else I'm I'm quite keen to ask, and and I don't want this to be kind of a tokenistic interview or anything, um. But what I'm interested in as well is the journey of being a hip-hop DJ, a female hip-hop DJ, in what's, you know, you, you look at um, you look at kind of gender balances, proportions in different careers and industries and things like that. I think hip-hop DJing must be a pretty heavily skewed one. Um, 
was it something that was ever challenging to you or does it continue to be? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it definitely <laughs> was not an easy road coming up. Um, so, yeah, especially hip-hop, yes, but also the battle scene. Um, those mm. two worlds were totally male-dominated. Um, I think in the US it, it varied slightly, but here in Australia it was just males. I literally was, when I came up, the only female um, competing in things like DMCs. And yeah, like initially, you know, you have those moments, especially I, I think this is a, a very female thing to do, a very uh, something us ladies do is, you know, you'll experience something. You'll be like, did that really happen or am I imagining it? You know, it, it was things like um, mm. sabotage, um, even to the point of broken needles and, um, you know, just little things here and there where you'd kind of like be like, did that person really just do that? Or am I actually imagining it, you know, until fast forward now, I'm thankfully over the years become really well connected with a lot of people locally. And um, just yeah. even this year, sitting down with a bottle of scotch with, uh, you know, someone in the scene saying, yeah, D, we saw you as a threat. And I was like, so you're telling me that stuff. I didn't imagine it. It was really, you go, yep, no, that we really all did that. <laughs> I'm like, why? That's horrendous. I was just a lady coming up, you know, like what sort of threat was I? Honestly, you should seem like if you saw me back then, I, I wasn't very aggressive or anything like that, you know, um, me as, you know, smiles and hugs wherever possible. So uh, it was kind of hard for me to comprehend how I would be seen as a threat because I never saw myself that way. Um, but yeah, so fast forward to now though, now, oh, I can't, I can't even, I have no words. It's a different world. It's two extremes, absolutely two extremes. And I put that down to the world of, again, seven inch vinyl 45s, the love and accept, acceptance in this community is like no other. It really is family. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's weird to say that, but it's so true. Like even these people that we've never met face to face, they're legit, literally family. Um, I just had one come and stay with me <laughs> for three and a half weeks. We did a whole Australian East Coast tour. Um, speaking of DJ Robert Smith from uh, Germany, mm. um, someone I connected online streaming with uh, through COVID and um, he literally said, D, I'm coming over. I'm like, I don't have a spare room. Okay. Oh, he said, I'll sleep in your impala. All right, cool. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, we just did a whole, yeah, as I mentioned, Australian East Coast tour, 23 gigs in 20 days. Absolutely nuts. Uh, hit the road over 4,000 wow. kilometers by car. And um, I can't even explain the, the buzz, the energy, the high that we had from doing such a high concentration of gigs in such a short period of time. And then the come down at the end of that, <laughs> that was just, oh man, that was next level. And um, yeah, I've, I've been DJing for, for many years and I've never had a connection um, where we did everything freestyle. There was no planning. There was no prep. It was literally throw some records in a bag and let's go. And yeah. just the way everything turned out and came, it was, it really looked rehearsed. It looked like we'd prepped for days and it just wasn't, you know, that freestyle element I think is 
today. What does it for me? You know, go go back to my first DMCs. Everything was so heavily rehearsed, so planned mm. and so practiced. Whereas now I'm the opposite or I'm trying to do the opposite. So, and I think that's what's keeping it fresh for me. That whole freestyle element of as you're freestyling, you're going to find stuff that, you know, you're breaking your your patterns in a sense. You're breaking your habits, which is what I need to do um, to sort of get out of those routines that I just always do. So, um, yeah, I'm loving it. Uh, it's really like a new, new buzz, new energy, newfound energy. Yeah, I, th I think just going back to battling as well. I mean, I was watching the 2003 UK Championships the other day and watching with a 2023 set of eyes and ears, you can be quite mind blown by some of the disses that are used in that period, like, like the level of homophobia and misogyny and, and that mm. sort of thing. But it was part of the culture at the time that, that oh, totally. that's just what people did. So I, I don't think there's that element to battling now, is there? That, that real sort of acerbic, vitriolic type of um, punchline usage. I think that, that kind of direct person to person has dropped off a bit. You get it a little bit. Um, you're not going to see it throughout the whole competition like you used to. Like back then, it was like everybody mm. did that. Now, you'll get maybe one or two or three, um, usually the fellas doing that still. And I have yeah. seen it um, more at the finals sort of level when they go head to head. You know, if you have two finalists going head to head, often that'll pop up again. Um, but in the general competition, not so much, not so much. But again, it's a different competition now, you know. The last few years yeah. have been purely online and that's meant that we've had even kids competing. It's meant that, you know, um, there's been ladies, there's been fellas, there's been little girls, there's been little boys and I think that's a beautiful thing though I think that's that's been incredible but mm. it has definitely changed that dynamic because you, you couldn't do something that like that with little kids around <laughs> not like we yeah. used to you know back then yeah it's um and I think the I think I'm right in saying the Canadian and US champs are both female now as well oh yes I think you're right US uh wait current Mm, we'll have to check the current status, but yes, there have been for both. Correct. So there's definitely kind of a shift going on then mm. in the um, battling culture. Definitely. And I just, I'm loving seeing more ladies competing. I think that's, that's always been the wish. Um, I'd love to see more locally here though. I, honestly, I thought there would be more here in Australia by now. Um, i got to say, as I mentioned earlier, it's not an easy road and that's perhaps why <laughs> uh, we don't have as many competing here now. Um, I hope that changes. I really do because it, it's such a beautiful thing and I know there are a lot of ladies out there that have that interest. It's just, there's always just that, you know, taking that next step. There's... You got to get past those walls or those challenges, you know, or those yeah. feelings, if that's what it is. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I hope it changes soon because it's been twenty years, and uh, thankfully there is uh, a couple 
now. Um, it's not just me, um, but I would have thought there'd be a few more still. Let's see what happens in the next couple yeah. of years. Fingers crossed. And I think the thing as well with it is there's just so much that you take from battling as a person. I, I did a couple of competitions, not not a lot. Uh, and, you know, I was never kind of a, fi- uh, a national finalist or anything like that. But those experiences, I'll take them with me. You know, that that discomfort, those nerves, that trying to put the needle on and your hands just shaking like crazy, <laughs> pretending to look confident. Uh, you know, you give it your best shot. And th- there's just so much emotionally that you that you get from it. It's a, it's oh. a fantastic experience. It's a roller coaster. It really is. Yeah. And it's a roller coaster that's like up and down and up and down. It doesn't just go on one ride. <laughs> it goes on multiple yeah. rides. But um, yeah, totally. Yeah, the, the, that's... <laughs> This is the thing though. See, you were at a time where you did have needle on record with hands shaking. That doesn't happen as often these days. You know, a lot of it is mm. digital now or phase or, or button pushing, you know. Um, I'm not dissing that. That's that's amazing and I push buttons too on occasion. Uh, I know some people out there, I've, uh, we see, <laughs> rather I see when I watch the finals and, you know, everyone gets up in the chat and puts their comments in and, you know, generally there's there's some love and then other people like to sort of diss that sort of way of DJing. Um, I think that like everything has its place um, for me and because of where I came up Needle to record is how it has to be done for me. Um, yeah. I, I don't have phase at the moment. I'm still holding back. But at the same time, I held back for Serato for many years too. I was still, you know, touring internationally with vinyl um, when and paying way too much in excess lug- luggage. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then later, you know, succumbing to um, Serato, uh, which was then Scratch Live. Um but yeah, all in time, I guess, uh, you know, it's it's a different comp. It's a comp where you can have whatever setup you want. One turntable, two turntables, six turntables. You can. It's up to you. You call the shots. And that's a big yeah. change from back in the day where they used to define what equipment you could use. Um, so yeah, it really is an open playing field, uh, whatever you want to bring, <laughs> which is, it makes it kind of interesting as well. So yeah. Has definitely changed over the years. Yeah, I I think there was a period, sort of mid to late, say late two thousands, where there was a bit of an adapt or die sort of thing, and then three style came along, so they had to do something to to be less rigid. Um, Exactly. So yes, it's a very different thing now. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Winter DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Wunter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wunterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, Check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. 
From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. So just on the sort of international touring, what sort of places have you been? And okay. is there anywhere particular that, that holds a great memory beyond all else? Oh, many, so many memories. Um, I've played a couple of times in Prague, um, once in the summer and once in the winter. Uh, fond memories because <laughs> I ended up making my wedding six months earlier to make that first trip to Prague, the honeymoon. <laughs> um, so that was definitely some fond memories. Uh, by chance, my maid of honor ended up crashing our honeymoon and we all went to the club together and <laughs> I rocked out my, you know, all vinyl set back then. Um, so yeah, played there a couple times, played in Malaysia a couple times, definitely some amazing memories there, rocking out for New Year's uh, parties and whatnot. Um, they know how to party up there. That And this is the days of Serato. So yeah, I brought a few records, but yeah, had Serato there. Probably the most uh, fondest memory though was when I played in um, the Sultanate of Oman. Um, I had been hit up by them, um, gosh, when was it? 2000 and f they hit me up in 2003. I was a little bit nervous to go as, mm. as a lady, um, and going yeah. solo, I was a bit scared to be honest. Um, and I thought, you know what? I don't know these people. I don't know what could happen. I'm going to send a friend over instead. So I said, Hey, we'll make a deal. If you can, um, hold out get um, my one of my DJ brothers back then, DJ Souls, um, if you can um, take him on, take him on for this event because I'm busy. I, I couldn't leave work as well at that time and it was quite um, quick. So he went over there. I said, hey, bro, go suss it out for me. See if it's legit. See what it's like. Come back. Let me know if it's good. I'll go back the second time. It's exactly what happened. But the second time we went back together because I said, hey, I want, I want my security yeah. guard. <laughs> Oh, my security guard with me. So then they flew us over for New Year's, um, which uh, we brought in 2004, I think it was. Um, and yeah, man, memories, oh, just everything. I, I think apparently I was the first lady to play um, in in their area and I did so yeah. uh, in a skirt and backless top, which was definitely pushing some boundaries on more levels than one, you know, first lady playing records <laughs> and then yeah. second being dressed like so, you know. Um we did play in a, a quite westernized um, uh, Albastan Palace, uh, which is like a westernized kind of hotel. Um, so it was appropriate and accepted there. But if I had done that outside of that area, it probably would not be as accepted. Um, memories are crazy because um, that room that I played in, it was the biggest chandelier in the world. They literally had um, like, you know, these fountains and everything was covered in gold and you walk into the foyer and I heard a harp thinking it's like a CD playing in the background. There's literally a dude in the corner playing a harp. Um, it's like, you know, it's just, just crazy, crazy moments, stuff that I'd never experienced coming from Australia. Um, and then to then play things like, you know, we're talking hip hop, you know, Ice Cube and all of that sort of stuff. 
And mm. there's a row of sheiks sitting, you know, on the floor just watching me play things like Ice Cube with swear words and everything in there, you know. It was really surreal. It's it kind of like, yeah, like a dream almost. So, um, yeah, very fond memories, definitely. Yeah, I suppose there is that that real kind of fear of getting in trouble for getting the culture wrong. Now, I was going to say, I was really careful in the normal areas, so airport um, and walking the streets, definitely all covered up. Um, I didn't quite do the headdress, but I did have hoodies. Um, so, yeah, I, I did want to show respect um, to yeah. obviously their culture and, and to the general uh, population. Um, but again, in that space, and this is based on the advice of the promoters, um, I was like, is it okay to wear this? Is it okay to do this? And they were really nice and they helped me out. They said, yeah, within this space, you can pretty much do what you like. Um, but yeah, outside on the streets, you probably want to follow as much as you can as well. So I still did get the odd look here and there, even though I was covered up long sleeves, long pants and whatnot in, in like 40 degree heat. Um, yeah. And their heat is different heat. Like their heat is real hot. <laughs> uh, so to be full covered up in that heat was, yeah, wasn't easy, <laughs> but I did yeah. it. Um, so yeah, I was very grateful okay. to wear the skirt on that New Year's Eve in, in, while you're playing. Cause you know how, you know how it is when you play, you get hot. It's like a workout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I was somewhere the other day playing and it was only when I'd finished and I was packing up, I realized there was a fan next to me. I'd just totally not noticed it and not thought to put it on. Um, So do you want to tell us about your um, low rider? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I have a 1964 Chevrolet Impala, sorry, ragtop convertible. And it's something that I dreamed about since I was about, oh, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years old, early teens. Uh, A dream that finally came true around 30 years later. And um, something that was inspired by that whole West Coast movement, which I kind of grew up listening to and and absolutely loved. I remember seeing uh, video clips like uh, Let Me Ride, Dr. Dre, and there was a lady flicking switches. I'm like one day I'm going to do that. That is so dope. And um, fast forward to now, uh, 2023, uh, the car, well, I'm endorsed by Pioneer DJ Australia. And what that means is that the car is also endorsed by them. Um, We have a couple of turntables in the trunk and I do events here and around Australia DJing out of the 1964 Chevrolet Impala, uh, which is definitely, you know, it's eye-catching. It gets attention and it's a lot of fun doing mm. it too. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of my life. I'm also part of Majestics Australia, which is one of the original low-riding clubs from the US of A, um, originally and straight out of Compton in the 70s. They were one of the first to do it and, and highly respected in the car club scene all around the world. So an absolute honour to be the first lady in Australia to rep for them. And... Um, yeah, something that that I enjoy doing so much, something that I enjoy doing with my family. It's, it really is a family affair. And um, with the lowrider, um, very special. I always say that's my first baby and then my child is my second baby. It's kind of how it <laughs> happened chronologically. Um, but yeah. also, um, it's, it's a very 
very fond thing, that car, to me. Um, one thing that my mum knew that I always wanted growing up, as I mentioned earlier, she then passed. Um, and I tried to get a couple of cars. Uh, the deals fell through. This one came through. It was I could write a book about getting that car here to Australia. It's an absolute mission. But we did it. Took a long time, but we got it here. Original paperwork came, and I looked at that paperwork and I just pulled my eyes out because the original date of delivery uh, for the first owner in 1964 was the same date that my mum passed um, in a different year, but same date. Mm. And I just thought, what are the chances? What are the chances? This car is definitely, yeah. this is meant to be, this is meant to be mine. And um, yeah, we've worked on her for 10 years. That journey's not yet over. At least she's back on road. I just did the first drive uh, two days ago for a car show here. And um, man, it felt good. Three years off the road, finally back. And um, the last shows that I've done for Pioneer have been trailered. So to actually drive to this last one over the weekend was just oh, such a good feeling. Really, really good feeling. So when you, when you first had had designs on getting the car did did you was this vision fully formed of djing out of it as well or was that just something that yeah. came along it it was it's it's not something i ever shared with some with anybody um but it was always part of the plan um and, and that's something i think i've always worked that way and maybe it's a graphic design thing i don't know but um to have that uh, overall vision uh, it's 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 an important thing for me, and that's how I work with most facets of my life and what I do. Um, it's sometimes hard to explain to others, and they don't always get it until they see it. <laughs> yeah. um, same same sort of thing happened even with the car and, and Pioneer DJ. And I, I mentioned, you know, what I wanted to do, and they just didn't get it. And they said, "Can you show us?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'll mock something up for you. Give me, you know." give me till tomorrow, I'll send it through. And then finally, <laughs> they got what I was talking about. And um, yeah, we've done a whole bunch of shows now. We even opened the Bathurst 12-hour um, earlier this year. So I got to drive my car down the racetrack, which was amazing. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, we played, we, we unveiled it there. That was the first time it was ever shown. And um, did a private party with all the race car drivers on the track and then played for the next four days in the Aussie heat and absolutely melted. We all got burnt. And <laughs> but good memories nonetheless. We had a great time. And, of course, my son threw down some, some wax on, on there as well too. So good memories for him. His, um, his dream is to be a racing car driver. So, of course, mum had to do this one just for him to have those memories mm -hmm. growing up. So, yeah, good times. How's it been for your partner over the years, um, kind of working around your um, really busy sort of lifestyle? Luckily, he is busy too. He understands and I appreciate that so much because not everybody could kind of live that life. Um, mm. He is also in the music scene. He's a vocal trainer um, and he actually has been, up until me being pregnant, he was teaching seven days a week. So, um, yeah, less now. I, I made him take Sundays off to give me a little hand. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, thankfully he understands. It, it is a, it is a juggle. 
it's a juggle between the two of us. And, you know, uh, pre-child, we were like ships in the night, you know, oh, good yeah. morning, good night. And because, you know, I was working nights and he was working days and we'd pass each other by. Um, but yeah, now it's a bit more of a tag team effort of, you know, who's going to look after child today and who's going to feed, who's going who's gonna to do the bath, who's going <laughs> to... Uh, mm. But we have our little routine. It works, you know. Luckily, what I do now, I'm just literally doing radio shows and DJing now, and that's to a degree flexible, or but mainly based on weekends. So he gets the yeah. week, I get the weekend, and it kind of works, you know. So yeah, I don't know how long we'll be able to maintain it for, but let's go for as long as we can and <laughs> uh, make the most of it as we go. Yeah, that's it. Make hay while the sun shines. Um, I'm mindful of time, so let's let's look at wrapping up in the next few minutes. Um, so sure. a couple of big questions that I want to ask you are if you've got any key pieces of advice for anyone looking to start DJing or if there's anything for any female DJs that are looking to start battling, for example. Definitely. Okay, so number one to anybody is just do you. I think that's... It's so simple, but it's so key. Um, often, you know, you sort of see, it's great to learn. Like like I mentioned earlier, it's great to learn from other people. Imitate them by all means, but then make it your own. Um, bring your flavor to that, that thing that you're doing, whether it's a battle routine, whether it's a recording, whether it's a, you know, a, a live stream, who knows? Um do you, because there's only one of you and that's going to make you stand out. And that's kind of what you need to do in this scene. You know, you have to stand out in some way or form to get that attention and, and get noticed and, and hopefully then get some props. Um, for the ladies, perseverance, it really is the key. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. You hear that all the time, but perseverance, I think really is perseverance and dedication. Um, one of the first articles I remember being published about me back in the early 2000s was titled D is for Dedication. Um, and I think it's really <laughs> what's gotten me as far as it has. Um, just, yeah, I'm at this thing that I love 24-7 where I can. Um, obviously not always possible with child and that's a juggle in itself. But every other waking moment that I can where I'm not absolutely passing out because I'm so tired. I'm going to dedicate something to this. Um, and that alone pays off in time, you know. Um, so it's all about the energy you put in. It's all about the dedication, the perseverance. And probably the biggest one, the one that took me about maybe 20 years to figure out and learn, don't worry so much about what other people think. I think that's the big one for the ladies because that's something we tend to do a lot. And, you know, getting kind of online, you're going to get trolls. You're going to get, you know, maybe not so nice comments. Don't let it stop you doing what you love. That's really key, I think. That's maybe amazing. we'll see more ladies that way too. Fingers crossed. Um, and just a final question then. Is there anyone particular that you would like to hear on this podcast Oh, yeah, for sure. There's many, but I have to say, my brother from another mother, DJ Robert Smith, I'd love to see a podcast with him on there. He's an absolute legend. He's been a pillar of strength for me over the last three years. Um, and, yeah, he's got a pretty cool story to tell. 
which is what I've been finding out over these last three years. Um, I'd love to see that. If you could make that happen, that would be absolutely incredible. Amazing. We'll go for it. Dee, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really cool conversation. And um, is there anyone you want to shout out or anything before we go? Definitely to the whole 45s community. I love you guys from the 45 Kings to 45 Day to Dusty Donuts to all of the labels out there doing their thing, um, both local and internationally. Mama D, love you. And um, yeah, honestly, uh, the love that comes in, uh, I want to send it back threefold if I can. Uh, just it's so appreciated um, from the nice comments to people sending me records. Yes, more of that. Let's bring it on. Um, and of <laughs> course, everybody that tunes into the shows, to the streams, to the live gigs, all of that sort of stuff. You know what? Um, I don't just – I do this for me, Yes. But I do it for, for you guys as well. You know, I want to get out there. I want to give people a good time. Forget about those worries. Forget about those stresses. Let's just, you know, for this one, two, three, four, five, whatever many hours that set is, let's just enjoy ourselves, you know. That's really what it's about. Enjoy the music. Enjoy ourselves. Have a good time. Best thing to do in life, in my opinion. Wonderful. Great. Thanks very much for your time. Anytime. Thank you for having me on. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Once a DJ podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback or any suggestions for guests, please just get in touch with us at onceadjpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at onceadjpodcast. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Uh, oh, that was nice.